What's up? It's Andy Grammer with Jag. Hi, this is Carly Rae Jepsen, and you're listening to Jag. Hi, everybody. It's Joe Jonas hanging with Jag. This is Heather Knox, Playboy's Miss January 2012. With the hottest Jag I've ever seen. It's B.O.B. checking in with my homie Jag. So much swag with my homie Jag. It's the Jag Show podcast. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 2 of the Jag Show. As you can tell by the intro, and in case you didn't know... I spent the first decade and a half of my career working in radio, and because of this, I'm often asked, what happened to radio? First, a couple disclaimers. I love radio, and to paraphrase Sammy Sosa, radio has been very, very good to me. It brought me all over the country, from Vermont to Detroit to New Orleans, back to Detroit, and it was in Detroit that I met my wife. I've also had the adrenaline rush of being on a stage pumping up thousands of people, And I met my holy trinity of three artists on my bucket list, Steven Tyler, Carrie Underwood, and Brett Michaels. One is my favorite artist of all time, one is my celebrity crush, and the third was my late best friend's favorite band. I still have the video of Brett dedicating something to believe in to my buddy Bill's memory with me standing side stage. Most people don't get to experience these things, and I consider myself very lucky. Also, I have a number of close friends and professional contacts who still work in radio and love it. I have nothing but the utmost respect for them and for the talented work they do. Radio's been around about 100 years, and in that time, it's withstood an onslaught of challenges from television to the early days of the internet, and it stood tall. But if you think that radio is the same as it was when I started my professional career in 2004, you're mistaken. And there are two main reasons why. The first is personality. Ask any American over the age of 50, and they'll remember the names of their favorite radio personalities from growing up, names like Cousin Brucie, Wolfman Jack, Larry Lujak, John Records Landecker. Yes, radio is where people consumed music, but it was the personalities that really made it come alive. Well, over the course of the 21st century, a few things happened. First, radio ratings methodology changed. In the old days, select listeners would be paid to fill out a diary. It didn't matter if they were actually listening to you, but if they thought they did and wrote you down... You got credit. It was all about recall. But technology changed, and in the larger markets, the portable people meter was developed. This is a device that users wear like a beeper, and it would pick up a special signal, track your actual listening minute by minute. With more accurate data, ratings changed immensely. Think about how you listen to the radio in the car. If you're like most people, you don't spend 5 or 10 minutes on every station. You mash those preset buttons over and over again. So when the data came in, Radio program directors saw how quickly listeners would tune out DJs who talked on and on. Now, the flaw in this logic is that all DJs get tuned out. Turns out, listeners only change the station when the DJ isn't compelling. But even the talented DJs got scaled back. And at one extreme point in time, we were even told not to talk longer than seven seconds at a time. Roughly the attention span of a goldfish. And so longer form personality was relegated to where you find it today around-the-clock on spoken word formats like news talk and sports, and only on morning shows on music stations. Now, making the rest of the day into a jukebox seemed like a good idea at the time, but then iPods and Pandora, Spotify, and others came along. And as access to these platforms grew, listeners realized, why would I listen to somebody else's playlist with commercials when I can listen to one I created myself? Radio had lost the key element that distinguished it as a medium. Now, the other big factor in radio opening the door for podcasting was corporate consolidation. I won't bore you with a long history lesson, but briefly, in 1996, Congress and the President passed the Telecommunications Act, which relaxed ownership restrictions in media. Now, the intent was for it to foster competition, but its effect was to create corporate behemoths that could overpay for radio stations and build massive companies. 
The largest of these, Clear Channel, owned over 1,100 radio stations at its peak. And remember, this was the economic boom of the 1990s. But then the economy changed. When the downturn happened, these large companies owned many small properties that were not profitable, and cuts had to happen. And this isn't to unfairly blame the corporations, it's just basic economics. If you own radio stations in New York City and Burlington, Vermont, you're going to care a lot more about those properties in New York that charge thousands of dollars for 60 seconds worth of ad time than you are those properties up in Burlington, Vermont that are going to charge 30 bucks for the same spot. Resources were shifted to larger markets and the cuts came to the smaller markets. And then voice tracking started. So as computer network technology improved, DJs in one market could record shows that aired in another market with relative ease. For example, when I was a program director in New Orleans, I routinely helped out friends by doing shows for their stations in Colorado Springs, Greenville, South Carolina, Detroit, Michigan, and Madison, Wisconsin, all from my studio in New Orleans. So as time went on, many local radio hosts were victims of cuts, some got replaced by out-of-market voice trackers, and some by nationally syndicated radio shows like Elvis Duran, Ryan Seacrest, Mario Lopez, and more. So during all of this time, podcasting was growing, and it's really taken off over the last two or three years. A number of former radio DJs have begun their own shows, unencumbered by time and content restraints, and those who had a large audience on social media following have been able to bring their audience over. Now, smart current radio DJs also do podcasts, they'd use them to supplement their show. One, it's a way to connect with your audience on demand, and two, it's a nice insurance policy if you were to be the victim of tomorrow's budget cuts. Now, radio is starting to figure it out. All of the major radio companies have invested in podcasting. National Public Radio, NPR, has long been a leader in the field. But the most telling sign that radio is into podcasting? Last summer, when I went to Podcast Movement in Philadelphia, every big radio company was there to learn about podcasting and maybe even to recruit some talent. I knew radio cared when I saw one of the happy hours was sponsored by, wait for it, iHeartRadio, the company that Clear Channel became. So what does all this mean for podcasting? Well, 15 years ago, guys like me had to cut our teeth in small markets, like Burlington, Vermont, for me, for example. Most of those jobs, they don't exist anymore. So podcasting, with its low barrier to entry, might be the new farm system for radio. And that's why, if you can demonstrate talents and personality, you could find your way to a paid gig down the line. When it comes to podcasts, radio is, well, listening. But as a longtime lover and employee of radio, I also wonder what all this means for radio. For a long time, I was convinced that the keys to radio success were twofold. One, bring back the personality, and two, let smaller ownership groups take back control. These would be groups that are in the communities they serve, they can invest in those stations, because their responsibility is to those cities, not to corporate stockholders. But two stories over the last six months have caused me to question my theory. First, one of the stations I worked for in Vermont, 95 X, was sold at the end of 2018. It was a mom-and-pop station. The owner was down the hall. I was on a first-name basis with Paul. He owned the station outright and had live DJs from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. every weekday. Well, at the end of last year, he decided it was time to walk away. He felt the economics of owning a radio station were no longer to his advantage, and he was approaching retirement. So he sold his two stations, 1 FM and 1 AM, to another radio company in town. The AM station, like before, has only live DJs in the morning, but the FM station is a shell of what it was a year ago. They now run syndicated programming in the morning and at night. Station, always once live and local, now only has bodies in the studio from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. Then, last week, the story of Lauren and Wally at WROR in Boston. When I was eight years old, I would call these guys and tell them dirty jokes. 
I'm sure as a radio person, it was a great bit for them. But more importantly, those guys showed kindness to an awkward fourth grader who didn't have many friends but loved radio. In fact, they even invited me to co-host with them over the summer when they did the show live from a PGA event in nearby Concord, Massachusetts. The picture of that day is the featured image for this podcast and this blog post, if you're wondering what that picture is. Ever since that first taste 30 years ago, nobody's been able to pry the microphone from my hands. From there, I did the PA announcing for my high school football and basketball games. I majored in broadcast journalism at Syracuse University. I was then paid to be a radio DJ. I met my wife. I started my own podcast company. None of that would have been possible without the kindness and generosity of Lauren and Wally in the morning. Lauren and Wally started in Boston in 1981, several months after I was born. Wally retired two and a half years ago, but Lauren continued the show. He and Beasley Media, the parent company of the station, were unable to reach an agreement on a new contract. So he was told that Friday would be his last day. No big send-off, though I don't know if he'd have wanted one. Just goodbye. He read a statement on the air just after 7 a.m., which he may have gone through attorneys first. There's a link to the video here in the show notes. Wally came on for a couple minutes at the end. They reminisced, and that was kind of it. Now, many radio DJs don't get to say goodbye, so at least he got that. But in the final show, they reminisced about the glory days of radio with big promotional budgets back in the 80s. Lauren and Wally raced each other around the world twice. They had a station helicopter. They rented the Concord to chase Haley's Comet from New York to Cuba. The stories are insane. Today, nobody expects those types of budgets in a world where media consumption is now so fragmented. And I don't know what the negotiations were like behind the scenes, so I don't want to assign blame anywhere. It's possible Lauren had unrealistic demands, but I doubt it. Even Wally said to Lauren on the air Friday, this shouldn't be happening. But after 38 years, Lauren deserved better. And radio does too. I hope you enjoyed episode two of season two of the Jag Show podcast. I hope to start turning out episodes more regularly. So feel free to subscribe in Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. I promise we'll return back to podcasting in our next episode. Feel free to share this episode on social media if you think others in your network will enjoy it. And speaking of social, you can follow me on all platforms at Jag in Detroit or visit my website at jagindetroit.com. That's J-A-G-I-N-D-E-T-R-O-I-T.com. Later. Later.